Well, how do we begin 2024? How do we begin a new year? Or to put it in the context of the local church, how do we begin 2024 together as a community of believers? How can we step into 2024 with peace and joy and rest and assurance and confidence and contentment? Is that even possible in the world in which we live? What does 2024 hold for you and me? Will there be storms? Will there be trials? Will there be difficulties, problems? If I was a betting man, which I'm not, but if I was a betting man, I think it'd be a safe bet to say that we're going to experience some storms, some trials, some problems, some difficulties in 2024. In fact, the Lord's promised that in this world you will have trials and tribulation, but be of good courage, I've overcome the world. Yes, we will have trials and tribulations in 2024, but we will also experience the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God in 2024. But in the midst of the storms that are going to come in 2024, we're going to need an anchor. We're going to need an anchor for our soul in the midst of the storms of life to keep us from drifting. We're going to need some solid ground to stand on because the storms will come and we're going to need some solid ground to keep from sinking. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, reading verses 1 through 13. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand on the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be a son to me. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he said, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. 
And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? I would like to speak to you this morning on this subject of the heir of all things. The heir of all things. This is taken from verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. This is a very interesting word, heir, used quite often in the Bible. A very important word in the Bible. In a family, especially among men, when men are always passing away, Whatever possessions you've had, whatever possessions you've gathered, when you die, whoever gets your possessions, your stuff, is the heir. Jesus Christ is called here the heir of all things. But in this particular context, in this usage in Hebrews, what exactly does that mean? That he is the heir of all things. Well, in Galatians 4.1, the Apostle Paul sheds a little bit of light on this word heir. Paul writes in Galatians 4.1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under a guardian and a manager until the date set by his father. The point that the Apostle making there is that the heir is nothing but a servant until he comes of age and receives the inheritance. Then he is the owner of everything. That's the point I want us to see this morning. The heir is the owner of everything. The King James puts it a little bit different. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all but he's under a tutor and a guardian until the time. In other words, the writer of the book of Hebrews wants us to point out this, that there is a God behind this world. He has spoken to us in his son, and he has appointed his son heir of all things. His son is the owner of all things. His son is Lord of lords and king of kings. He says that in various ways here. Verse 4, he says, Having become as much superior to the angels as he has inherited a name more excellent than the angels. And then verse 8, he says it again. But of the Son, he says, your throne is forever and ever. Here is an anchor for our souls. There is a God behind this world, and he is there, and he is not silent, towards uh, Francis Schaeffer. There is a God, he is there, he is not silent, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. He owns everything, he is Lord of lords and King of kings. That's where we can place our anchor. That's solid ground. There is a God behind this world, and he has spoken to us in his Son. Well, most of you know the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians. Gentiles are not mentioned in the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who the author is, a lot of speculation about was it Paul, was it Apollos? Bottom line, we don't know who the author of the book of Hebrews is. 
The writer is writing to Jewish Christians who are facing persecution. They're discouraged. They're troubled. And many of them are thinking about throwing in the towel and going back into Judaism. And so the writer of this book of Hebrews is writing to strengthen and encourage these Jewish Christians. And so he writes this letter to them, and what he wants them to see is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. John MacArthur said, if he was going to put a title on the book of Hebrews, or this was going to be my theme of the book of Hebrews, it would be this. Jesus Christ is superior or supreme to and preeminent over everyone and everything. Jesus Christ is superior to and preeminent over everyone and everything. That's the major theme of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus is superior to Melchizedek. Jesus is superior to the Old Testament priesthood. The Old Covenant is inferior to the New Covenant. And so the writer is writing this letter to help us see the preeminence of Jesus Christ, to strengthen these Hebrew Christians. There's also a lot of warnings in the book of Hebrews. Some have called it the epistle of warnings. He warns us about neglecting so great a salvation. He warns us about a hardened heart. He warns us about the danger of apostasy and falling away from the Lord in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10. And so there's a lot of warnings. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And so there's warnings in the book of Hebrews. But the major theme he wants us to see is the glory of Jesus Christ, that he is preeminent over all things. God has spoken. He has appointed his son heir of all things. He owns all of it. He is Lord of lords and king of kings. And when he says he's the heir of all things, sometimes when the Bible uses the word all, it doesn't mean all. But in this case, when the Bible says all things, it means all things. No exceptions. He's been appointed heir of all things without exception. Now think about that this morning, that Jesus Christ, the one that we worship and adore, is the heir of all things. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means all real estate. You may own a plot of ground, a lot. Maybe you own some farmland, but you don't really own it. You're not really the owner. You're just a renter. You're just a tenant. You're just a sharecropper. The Lord Jesus Christ owns it. It's his land. You're going to just have it for a little while. When you pass away, somebody else is going to rent it for a little while. But it's his. He owns it. He has permanent, absolute, unchangeable possession of all real estate. I've said so many times, this is God's earth. We walk on God's land. We breathe God's air. We drink God's water. We eat God's food. We enjoy God's creation. It's his mountains. It's his waterfalls. It's his oceans. It's his flowers. It's his trees. All real estate belongs to him. And we say all real estate, 
We're not confining ourselves and our thoughts to just this planet Earth. When we say all real estate, we mean all real estate in this universe. Everything that there is, all the planets are his. All the stars are his. He owns them. In fact, in the prophet Isaiah, he says of the stars, I have placed the stars in the sky. I have hung them there. Not one of them is missing. I know all of them by name. I googled, how many stars are there? Google's answer, 200 billion trillion. Whatever that means. That's a lot of stars. 200 billion trillion. I've been told that our galaxy, our universe, or our galaxy is nothing more than a cul-de-sac in the universe. Jesus owns it all, all the stars, all the space that is out there, it's his space. All the solids, all the liquids, all the gases, even those black holes that they say there's nothing there, he owns the nothing. Everything is his. All the solids, all the liquids, all the gases, all matter. Every molecule, every atom, every electron, every neutron, every proton, he owns it all. He's the heir of all things. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Visible and invisible, everything that you can see, he owns it. Even the things that you cannot see, he owns it. He's the heir of all things. He's the heir of all power and all authority. Do you remember what he said in Matthew 28 to his disciples? In Matthew 28, 18, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations. Certainly all authority means wherever you find authority, wherever authority is found, it is derived from him. You remember our Lord has been arrested and he's standing before Pontius Pilate and Pilate says to him, you won't talk to me? Don't you understand? I've got the authority to have you crucified and I have the authority to set you free. You won't talk to me? And Jesus says, the only authority you have is what my Father's given you. Any authority that's out there is derived from him. He has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. He has power and authority over life and death. John 10, 18, he says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down. This authority I receive from my father. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. Nobody takes my life from me. All authority regarding life and death is in his hands. You remember when Job lost everything. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Life belongs to the Lord. He gives it and he takes it. Revelation 1.18 
the Lord appears to John on the island of Patmos, and he says to John, fear not. Those are good words, is it not? Fear not. Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one, and I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I own them. He has all power and all authority over life and death. He has all power and authority over every sickness, every disease, every illness. What do we see in the Gospels? He went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Matthew 9, 35. And when he says, all power, all authority has been given to me, he means every principle, every law, in every sphere, the laws of nature, the laws of gravity, the laws of mathematics, the laws of physics, the laws of science, the laws of aerodynamics, all belong to him. There was a principle of uh, aerodynamics that basically said a bumblebee can't fly because his fuselage is too big for his wingspan. I guess the Lord knows a little more about aerodynamics than our engineers do. He is the Lord of all laws. All that there is, he owns them. And that's why there was no problem for him to walk on water or to speak to the wind and the waves and say, be still. The wind and the waves know the voice of their creator. He's the heir of all things. He owns it all. All plants, all living creatures on the earth and sea belong to him. Genesis 2.19, now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the man. He created the living beings, and he brings them all to the man and says, I want you to name the animals for me. Psalm 50.10, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills they're mine. I know all the birds of the hill, all that moves on the field is mine. And that is why when the children of Israel said, you, you know what, we're getting sick and tired of this manna. And they start grumbling and complaining to God, and they want some meat. God says, you want some meat? I'll send you some meat. How about quail? And God dumps a bunch of quail on them. So much quail, they got sick of eating quail. He commands the birds of the air. Do you remember the prophet Elijah? He's on the run from Jezebel. And the Lord says, I am going to command the ravens to feed you. Yeah, the birds are going to come and feed you and take care of you, Elijah. The plagues in Egypt, the frogs, the flies, the lice, the locusts, all under his authority. No problem for him to, to move. They're all his. All human beings are his. That is why he can say of the heathen kings, they are his servants to do his bidding. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is streams of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. All individuals are his. 
He can say, Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I will harden whom I will harden. And all angels in heaven belong to him. Here in Hebrews 1, 6, let all the angels of God worship him. All the angels in heaven are under his power, his authority. Do you remember he's in the garden of Gethsemane and one of his disciples draws a sword and he says, put the sword back. Don't you know that if I wanted to, I could appeal to my father and he would send 12 legions of angels. I love that old hymn. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set himself free, but he suffered and died alone for you and me. All the angels of heaven are under his power and his authority. The devil and all the demons of hell are under his authority. We see that in the, in the book of uh, Job. Job can only go, or the devil can only go so far in the life of Job. God has him on a leash. He has to grant permission to him. That is what you see in the book of Job. That God controls, has the authority over the devil and all the demons of hell are under his authority. And that's why in Psalm 125, 2, the Lord says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so I surround my people. So that you know that whatever gets in, whatever touches your life, came there by divine permission. Nothing touches us apart from divine permission. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He owns everything. The Bible says that God has appointed him the heir of all things. Now, it seems with the inheritance, there are always contenders or challengers to the heir. A man has a large estate, got married, his wife dies, they've got one son. They've got a will and a trust. Everything has been done right. Everything's been done proper. Everything looks like it's going to be no problem. But I'll guarantee you, if, in a, if it's in a state of any value, somebody's going to challenge that inheritance. Might be an aunt, uncle, cousin, somebody far away is going to try and get that stuff for themselves. And the same is true in Scripture, that although Jesus is heir of all things, there are some challengers to the throne. Do you know what? The Bible is all about this challenge to the throne of God. That is what the Bible is all about. There are some out there who are not content for Jesus Christ to be the heir of all things. Well, who are these challengers to the heir of the Lord Jesus Christ? You don't have to look very far. Bible is very clear. The devil is a contender. If you have your Bibles, look at Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. The devil is a contender. If we can say that Almighty God has a contender, if we can say that there really is a solid contender for the airship of the Lord Jesus Christ, this would be it. 
Although there's not really any challenge to the Almighty, but if there is, this is it. In Isaiah 14, 12, this is speaking of the devil. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you're cut down to the ground. You're laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? The devil is a challenger to the heir, the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember when the Lord is being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights? What's going on there? The devil is trying to dethrone the heir, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not successful, and he never will be successful. And like I said, there's no real challengers to the heirship of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if there's ever a legitimate challenge, it comes from this person, the evil one. So powerful that in the book of Jude, the archangel Michael would not even engage in an argument with the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Man is a contender for the heirship of Jesus Christ. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Oh, God said that uh, you will surely die. You won't really die. God knows the day you eat of it, you'll be uh, like him and you know good from evil. You don't have to listen to God. You can be your own king. You can be your own Lord. You don't have to listen to God and his lordship and having him rule over you. No, no, you can, you can go your own way. Do your own thing. You don't need him to lord it over you. We'd also see it in the parable that our Lord taught in Matthew 21. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 21. An interesting parable. You don't hear it preached on very often. Matthew 21, 33. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, and he put a fence around it and dug it, a wine press in it, and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. When the season for the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to give him fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, and killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. All right, here's the heir, the owner of everything. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those servants? They said to him, he will put those wretcheds to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruit of their season. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in God's sight. That's addressed to the religious leaders 
of Jesus' day. They were not about to have Jesus reign over them. Who is this son of a carpenter from Nazareth? No way is he going to be our Lord and Savior. It's the religious leaders of Jesus' day who are trying to dethrone the heir. And man tries to dethrone the heir of all things. Jesus tells a story. There's this man who, who had this bountiful harvest. And he says to himself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And then I'm going to kick back and relax and enjoy my retirement. And God says to him, you're a fool. This very night, your soul is required from you. What's this man saying? He's saying, hey, I'm in charge. I'm king. I'm going to do this and this, and I'm going to tear down the barn, build bigger ones. I'm going to sit back and retire. I'm going to enjoy life. I reign. I rule. I'm king. I'm Lord. He said, no, you're not. This very day, your soul's required of you. James says the same thing. You know, who are you that you're saying you're going to go into this city and you're going to conduct business for a while, but you don't know what your life is. It's nothing but a breath. You're here today and gone tomorrow. What you ought to say is if the Lord is willing, we will do this or that. We are not the heir of all things. We are not in control of all things. He is. I was very mindful of that Friday night. Friday night, I'm thinking about Saturday morning, okay? I need to get up at 7 o'clock, get down to Chang's Barbershop at 7.30, get my hair cut. If I get there later than 7.30, there'll be about five or six people in front of me, cost me an extra hour, got to be there at 7.30, got there, got my hair cut. Then I'm going to, okay, now I got to go down to West Chicago, going to have coffee with my mom, spend some time with her. About 8.30 to 9, 9 o'clock, I leave West Chicago, I go to Batavia, I open up my shop, I run my shop from 9 till noon. Then I went up to Elgin, I had a lunch appointment with uh, uh, Dave Ashworth, or is that his name? John, sorry, John Ashworth at uh, Willie and Grace. And I go up there, and Danny and Dana's there having lunch, and so we joined them and had lunch together. But I was thinking about that Friday night. I had all this planned, and I said, if the Lord's willing... I'm going to do this. If the Lord is willing, I will do this. And then our last verse I want us to look at this morning is Psalm 2. Look at Psalm 2. Let's read Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against who? Against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in their fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. 
Why are the nations in an uproar? We're not going to have this Jesus be the heir of all things. He's not going to reign and rule over us. Uh-uh. We're going to break those bonds. Man in his sin, man in his sin is blind to the true reality that God is for us. He's not against us. But man in his sin thinks that God is against us. God is out there and he wants our lives to be miserable. He is uh, wanting us to be uh, under his submission, under his control. He's this tyrant and he wants our lives to be miserable servants, slaves of him. That's man in sin. He thinks that God is against him. You know, God's got these laws, the Ten Commandments. What are the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. God's Ten Commandments are in the way between me and my true happiness and joy. If we could just get rid of those laws and just break those bonds, then we'll find true happiness and true joy. That's man in sin. He thinks that God is against him and God's rules are against him. He doesn't realize that God's laws have been graciously given to us to, to uh, slow down, to uh, restrict sin in this world. In his grace, God has given us his laws. Without God's laws, you have nothing but chaos and confusion. Isn't that what we're seeing in our society today? When you abandon the laws of God, you have nothing but confusion and chaos. Man in his sin thinks that God's against him. That all these rules, all these regulations. Let me ask you, what's wrong with honor your father and your mother? Shouldn't you give proper respect to your mom and dad who gave you life? And they taught you how to, how to walk and how to talk. And they taught you how to tie your shoes and how to hold a spoon. What's wrong with honor your father and your mother? Sounds like a good law to me. How about thou shalt not steal? Is that a bad law? How about thou shalt not commit murder? Is that a bad law? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Is that a bad law? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. What kind of world would we live in if everybody obeyed the Ten Commandments? It'd be paradise on this earth. Can you imagine nobody stealing? Nobody robbing from you? Nobody plundering your shop? Stealing all your items? No more murder? Can you imagine that? No more school shootings. We're sick of school shootings. No more murder. No more adultery. How many marriages have been ripped apart? Children weeping and crying because mom and dad are getting divorced because one of them was unfaithful. Is that a bad law or a good law? How many lives have been destroyed because of adultery and it leads to divorce, broken homes. Thou shalt not bear false witness. What's wrong with telling the truth, speaking the truth? 
Thou shalt not covet. Imagine a world where nobody coveted things. You're content with what God has given you. Man in his sin doesn't see that God is for him. He sees God is against him. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 2 is saying he, they're, they're in a rage or in an uproar. They won't want God reigning over them because they don't understand who God is. Man doesn't understand that the heir of all things is going to come into this world on a rescue mission to save sinners. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. The heir of all things is going to set aside his glory and he's going to come down to the human race. He's going to stoop. He's going to condescend himself. Theologian says it's not proper to talk about the humble God, but he is the condescending God. He's still the almighty, but he's a condescending God. He is willing to stoop and to come down to rescue sinners. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The heir of all things became one of us. He joined the human race. He became a true man. That's what the book of Hebrews is going to tell us, that we got this great high priest who can sympathize with us because he's truly a man. He understands what we're going through. The heir of all things stooped. He condescended. He joined the human race. He became one of us that he might redeem us. Adam's race is a failed race. It's a race that has lost the battle. This may be a poor illustration, but it's all I could come up with. You ever been on a losing team? Whether it's basketball or baseball, it's not any fun. Every time you go on the field, every time you step on the court, you just get slaughtered. My son plays volleyball. He went down to Olivet. They started the men's volleyball program. He was there his freshman year, the first year they had men's volleyball. And he was there the sophomore year, every time they had men's volleyball. We got slaughtered, stomped. Every time they stepped on the court, guess what? We've got a new quarterback. We've got a new pitcher. Jesus Christ, the heir of all things, condescended. He came into this world. He became part of us. He joined the human race. He got into the trenches, in the blood, the gut, and the gore, and all of that. He came all the way down to rescue sinners like you and me. The heir of all things has done this for us. He died on the cross bearing the wrath of God, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. The heir of all things has done this. My final question this morning in conclusion. I want to just ask you this one question. What's your attitude this morning towards the heir of all things? 
Are you still angry at God? Are you still mad at God? Are you still shaking your fist at God? Are you still out there trying to find happiness and joy apart from God? And you're shaking your fist at God and thinking all of your rules and regulations, you're always against me. Is that your attitude towards the heir of all things this morning? Or is your attitude this, the words of a great hymn, and I know that whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. I don't know what's going to happen in 2024. I don't know what storms are coming. But I know that Jesus does all things well. And I'm going to bow to his lordship. He's Lord of lords and King of kings. He's the heir of all things. And I surrender to him. What did he say in John 10? I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. If you are rejoicing this morning that the heir of all things is in control of everything, then praise God, grace has visited you. He has opened your eyes to see that true happiness and joy is found, not living independent from the heir of all things, but living under his rule and authority that he's Lord of lords and King of kings, and he knows what's best for his sheep, and he's going to lead us. He's the heir of all things. And next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to look more into details about the person of this heir. Who is he? What is he really like? Because it says here he's the exact representation of God. You want to know what God's like? Then let's study Jesus and find out who this heir really is. He's the heir of all things.